Welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. Covering topics suggested by you, the listener, we dive into what's important, getting you what you need to succeed. Here's what's coming up. Why are your customers willing to pay that price when someone else does it so much cheaper in your area? Because they're getting what they pay for. You know, they're, they're getting their car fixed, they're getting a relationship, they feel good. They have someone who stands behind it if, God forbid, there is a problem. And it's just fixed right the first time, and it's easy. You know, they have 2014 Mercedes loaner cars they get to drive. They, they have granite countertops when they walk in. They, we give them hand sanitizer when they pick up their car. You know, they're not just going to a shop. They're getting a full-on experience. I never, I never check about the price if I'm too high. Uh, so the answer is no. It's the value of your service. We need your help. By submitting questions or topics to institute at ifrave.com, we can continue to cover things that are relevant to you. But for now, we've collected a panel of experts to get you serious results. So what are we waiting for? Let's get into it. All right, welcome to The Leading Edge. I think we're on episode 60, that's 60, um, which is amazing because now it means we've been doing this about a year and a half, uh, going on two, actually two years now because we do it every two weeks. Um with us, we have uh, Ben Shelton. Ben, uh, what shop are you at now? I'm at Elite Auto Repair. We're in Warwick, Rhode Island. Okay. And uh, and we have uh, John, John uh, Sardianos. John, how are you doing, brother? Very well. I'm in... Uh, and, uh, what, and where is your shop? Our shop is in uh, Long Island, New York, and the name of it is Road Ready. Okay. Uh, today, we're going to talk about writing service, service advisors. Um, so I'm going to ask a bunch of loaded questions. So we'll just get that right off the, Why we'll not? start that right off the, off the top of that. Uh, ben, do you think that, um, do you think that most people that are at the counter uh, at a, at a shop are service advisors or something else? I'd say most of them are order takers. Okay, and why, why would you why would you say that? Um, I just think most of them aren't quite equipped for to realize that it is a sales job versus a customer service job. Okay, you know, a lot of people there are simply there, letting people tell them what they're going to fix, and not selling what needs to be fixed. So hang on, I got to get myself a pad here because I got to write uh, down the next question. Um, while we're doing that, um, uh, John, what do you think about that question? Are they are they are they real service advisors? Or are they order takers? What are they? You know what? Uh, it's I think that they're trying to be service advisors, but they don't have the maybe the knowledge or the tools to become a complete service advisor and do the right. Uh, job as I will agree with Ben a little bit like they, they cannot they trying to they're not trying to perform the best customer service and advise the customer correctly it's happening our industry is heading for that okay and so now now that's the next question the next question in my head then Ben is what's the difference and and why is one not as good and you say not as good as service-wise. So why why is order ta- uh, someone at the counter who allows the customer to decide 
um, why is that not a good thing or, or what makes the difference between someone that can really sell service? Um, I think that in response to part of your question, the customer side of it, I mean, the customers don't know what they need. It's our job to advise them on what they need and educate them and so they can make an educated decision. If you're simply presenting work, the customer says, okay, I'll do this work, then it's not selling service. It's just reading a list of items that we found. But I, 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 I always find a list of items and I always present them to the customer. So what, what, again, why is one different than the other? What does a service advisor have or do that an order taker does not? They sell value. Um, they're, they're really, they're advising versus simply telling. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I think there's an interesting, you know, you know me, I'm always using um, metaphors, I guess. Um, I love when, you guys. When, when my kids were little, we can see you and, ta- and hear you, John. Um, yeah, when, my yeah. kids, when my kids were little, um, I, was the, I was the tyrant, the parent. The, you do this, you do that. As they grew up, I became more of an advisor to them or more of a consultant to them and not... The, the boss. When my kids were 12 or 13 years old, they started making a lot of their own decisions that they did not make prior to, um, you know, them becoming of age, quote unquote. And then, of course, when they got to be 18, then they didn't, you know, our relationship changed again. And, and so in a way, if I understand this correctly, Ben, what you're saying is it, the, the order taker has a, one relationship with the customer and the service advisor has a different relationship with the customer. I believe so, yes. Okay. Well, I would go so far as to say the order taker may not have much of any relationship besides a transactional business one. Okay. And, and the, the service and the advisor ser- is building rapport, they're building a relationship, they're creating that dynamic so that their customer and them can grow up, as you said, and they're, okay. building, they're building trust. Okay. John, what what are your thoughts on on that? What's the difference between an order taker at the counter and a real service advisor at the counter? The real service advisor has the knowledge uh, to explain to the customer and advise him correctly to so they can make the right decision for the vehicle. What's in the best interest? The order taker, uh, you're just working for the customer. You're not doing basically your job. Your job as an advisor, you have the knowledge, you have the tools, you have the experience, and you know what needs to be done on the car so that that car be safe, reliable on the road without problems. Uh, a take order is just take orders and you do whatever everybody else is telling you. And basically, you're not a service advisor. Okay. What, what tools do you think a service advisor needs? What are the most important tools in your toolbox? I'll start with John on this one for being a service advisor? Training. First of all, uh, to being a service advisor, you have to be, okay, uh, you have to have a little bit of knowledge on, you know, on um, uh, on cars, on service, right? You have to be able to communicate, make sure you communicate with your customers, communicate with your technicians, and bring that communication together, right? Um, so you have to be organized, you have to be, able to communicate and explain. Uh, other tools that you need, 
uh, is in sales, like to be able to adjust with each customer because every customer has different personalities. So you'll talk to, to one customer different than another customer like he's, let's say we have somebody who's in the RAS and he's always a D uh, personality. You're going to have to be a little fast and to the point. When you have other customers that need more explanation and more uh, information to make a decision, right? So you have to be able to, to tell each customer what kind of personality they are. Right. That's one. Uh, make sure you have uh, other tools you have, a good inspection. Like, make sure your technician has a good inspection. Now, in our days, everybody used DVIs. So, all the subs, I'm pretty sure, in the United States use DVIs. Does that mean, just because we have a DVI, does that mean we have a good inspection? No, no. You have to be able to set up that DVI correctly, right? You, your technician has to do the complete DVI correctly because you can, there's a difference of DVIs too, right? Um then if you have a complete report, if you have a complete uh, estimate, plus uh, prepare your, um, my mind's stuck, uh, your presentation correctly, right? Okay. Be, able to, be able to estimate with parts margins, labor margins uh, for your ticket. Be prepared for your presentation. That's tools that you need to present it to a customer. Um, on your question, if every DVI is the same, no, not not everybody does a complete uh, DVI, uh, and that it depends on the technician. If uh, the shop has the right procedures, and you have accountable technicians, then you're going to have the right DVI as well. What if we told you that you could get quality training and education conveniently and without emptying your pockets? Our gear platform presents great education and resources for automotive shops, courses led by experts inside and outside our industry, a community of like-minded people to engage with, and a resource library at your fingertips. With a monthly membership, you can gain access to every course we have in the library, as well as the multiple courses we add each and every month. With the ability to watch wherever and whenever you'd like, gear provides the training you've been looking for at only $129 a month. For for help with improving your business, head to ifrave.com and click on the courses we teach to sign up for a better business and a better life today. Um, uh, ben, what, what what do you think are your, like if I said, what are your top three things that you think a service advisor has to have? What are they? Uh, training would be one of them, probably the top one. Um, the second one would, as far as, Second one would be the right personality. You can't put just anyone at the front counter. I mean, if you put a type C at the front counter, they're going to spend so much time explaining everything they're not going to sell. Um, and the third one would probably be training again. I, mean, I think that that's the most important thing is training. Not to cop out of giving three answers, but I'm going to give the same one twice because I think it just needs to be hammered home. Why do you, why do you think... I mean, I... So this is not a sell the institute program. I know it's right. not supposed to be. That's not really what we want to do here. Um, why is training so important to you? And it, and it's training from anywhere, not just you know from the institute or from even automotive. I mean, educating yourself on the vehicles, educating yourself on sales, educating yourself on people's personalities, psychology, business. You know the number side of it, 
all of it is so important. As John said, you know, he, it's a lot of it. It's not just how much, how much has that itself. mattered to you in your career? That's been what's made my career. I believe is the amount of just education and training I've gone through made me a much better service advisor and not just much better service advisor, but on the personality side of it, a much better person, I think. Okay. Uh, it is interesting. I have some, um, I have guys that I know that are really, really smart, but they're, they're not as, as social uh, as some of the other people. And I think to be a good service advisor or even a good teammate that there has to be some social, social to it. There has to, you know, there has to be some social skills. That yeah. You have to build with. rapport. You have to, you know, play the persona. The person's going to, is going to bond with, and that is different for every different customer. You know, you're not going to be the same person to a D as you are to a C. You're not going to be the same to an extrovert as you are to an introvert. You know, people want different things. And so you sometimes have to play a role. So, um, uh, John, how has training improved you? What what has training done for you in your career? It helped me be where I am right at the moment. Like uh, training... You help yourself, first of all, uh, leading your team as a training. Um, and as we said earlier, like knowledge is the key, right? So training helps you improve yourself on sales, managing your team, managing your techs, communicate with the customers. So if you stop training, you stop improving, improving yourself, basically. Okay. Um, what, what do you, being a service advisor is, is a difficult position in, in my opinion, possibly the most difficult position in the company. Um, there's a lot going on. What skills do you think someone should hone to be better at managing the, what's going on in the, in the company? Let's start with Ben. Um, patience. I think that people need to learn to be as patient as possible and just let people talk and wait. Um, ability to read the personality of the other person and respond appropriately with the right, you know, persona, like I said, um, and sales, you know, selling value, handling objections and, you know, closing. John, people people see salespeople as as um, pushy, uh, maybe a little greasy. Um, you know, um, I've always been really proud to be a salesperson, uh, and I've been doing it for, geez, if I think about it, probably about thirty seven years now, maybe thirty eight. Um, how do you feel about that picture of a salesperson as being a little? maybe not honest or uh, a little, a little grimy. There's a, uh, there is some difference. Like I, I love being a salesperson. Uh, I enjoy it. Uh, I have a passion about it. Right. And uh, as a service advisor, you have to be passionate for what you're doing too. If you have the passion to be a salesperson or you'll be an advisor as well. Um, I think where people misunderstand the sales is when people try um, maybe their own ways, 
Maybe they don't explain well. Maybe they don't build the relationship. They, they have to build with the customer, right? Is there a... So I'm a new customer walking into your door. Is there a process that you're going to take me through or is there a, is there a series of steps that you want to take me through? Of course. Um, and, and, and how do you do that? Um, uh, John, I'm going to show up at your shop. Uh, I'm a first time guy, never been in before. Uh, got a 2013 Ford truck with 85,000 miles on it. Um, you know, check engine light is on car's not, uh, the truck's not running like it, like it needs to. And I'm, it's my work truck. It's, it's what I use to make my living. What, what are you going to do for me? How, how are you going to take care of me? How are you going to build that relationship? First of all, how are you doing, Cecil? How are you doing today? Welcome. I'm to very well, day. frankly. My, my work truck is screwing up on me. Don't worry. You're in the right place. We'll take care of you. That's, that's why you, you're here. Uh, by the way, how do you hear about us? I see you um, first time here. Yeah, well, you know, I think um, I think one of my friends was a customer of yours, and they said, uh, "Go in and talk to John. He's a pretty nice guy." Um, and and they they I understand you guys have taken care of his work trucks, so that's why I'm here. Oh, great! Uh, by the chance, do you remember his name? If you don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, his name his name is Ben Shelton. Okay, uh, great. Help me come in. Yeah, that's a great guy. I know Ben very well. So. Um, do you mind if we go to your car for a second? I would like to, you know, to see what what lights are on. And oh, sure, absolutely, it. love to. Now, oh, so right. hang on, because I don't want to walk through the whole thing. Because right, I, but so basically, basically, yes. So I'll go through through the customer. I'll work on him to come in. I'll get all the information I need. Uh, first of all, the the personal information, right? Because we need to have phone numbers, emails, addresses, stuff like that. Um, I'm gonna write them down. I'm gonna I'm gonna write down the vehicle formation. We're gonna go around the car, go do the you know drive uh, go around the walk car, around. walk around to get all the information. Um, and then I'm gonna build a relationship. Whatever I see on the car, I see, like stickers, stuff like that. I will I will try to catch something to uh, to get a conversation going, plus to to build a, a rapport, right? Then I'm going to go definitely into the case, okay, you have a check engine light, we need to do diagnostics test first with a complete price, whatever it is, it's going to be that much to check it out because, you know, for those reasons, I don't know if you want me to go deep into No, no, I don't, not, not, not yet, maybe, right. maybe as okay. we go, but to me, it's the relationship with the customer that matters. And if I have a good relationship with the customer, if I'm the guy that the customer looks at as the professional that knows, you know, what's going on or knows what needs to be done, um, then I'm going to most likely sell that customer whatever it is that they need to do on their vehicle. Correct. If they like Correct. me and they're confident about me and my company and what we do, then I'm going to sell it. Ben, a right. lot of guys, a lot of guys talk about. I don't have time to do the walk around. Uh, we don't have time to go out to the car with the customer. No, what, you need to ben, build that. I, look, ben, what do, you, what do you say about that? Do you guys do the walk around in your shop? Uh, we don't actually. <sighs> I know. I know. <laughs> here it goes. Here it goes. Um, it's something that we probably need to be doing more. We definitely need to be doing that more. 
I, as far as the importance of it, I, I do understand and value the importance of it. I hadn't even thought about it to whether or not we do it until you said that just now. But okay. yeah, well, I mean, it's how do you build rapport with the customer then? What's the, yeah, we what talk, are the steps we talk to building to rapport with your customer? We talk to them, you know, um, I'm not actually actively writing service every day anymore, but what my service advisors do is they're doing exactly what John said, which is looking for things they can talk about dogs. You know, if they have a dog, they talk about that. If they have, you know, a certain sports team on the, on their car, on their shirt, on their keychain, they talk about that. You just look for the little things and you connect them on that. Um, in the case of what you were talking about, one of the big things I think I would focus on is how quickly we could turn around the owner's work truck because it is a work truck and he's going to want it back as soon as possible to continue making money. Correct. In fact, my, uh, my electrician came in on, on Saturday morning to work and he was like, I got a code P O two, two. Do you know what that is? My truck's not running right. The light just came on yesterday, you know? And so that's why I was, um, I was kind of using that as an example. Here's a guy that's really worried about his work truck. Frankly, that's going to that's going to be the most important thing he's going to want to know. I think is how soon can I have it back? It's, yeah, correct. So, so when 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 you go through my training for service advisors, we we talk about not everyone is your customer. Um, tell me, uh, um, I'm going to start with Ben. Ben, tell me what that means to you. Um, to me, it means that we built our company and built the, our you know automotive business based on a certain set of values and how we perform work some people are not going to want what we offer they're not going to care about it being nice they're going to want the cheapest price they're not going to care about extra warranty they're not going to care about a nice shop they're not going to care about any of those things they're going to care about it being cheaper um, or it may be that you know they just simply don't get along with you with us and that they might not be our customer for that reason also how, how, so I'm going to, I'm going to keep this one in your mind. How, how do you tell, um, don't answer it yet. Cause I'm going to go to John, John. Okay. Um, when, when I say not everyone's your customer, what does that mean to you? I will agree most likely with Ben. Basically, uh, as a, as an auto, auto repair facility, right? You need to know your product. You need to know what you believe in and what you sell it. Right, so not everybody's gonna buy from you. Not everybody's gonna believe on what you believe. Not everybody wants to pay, as Ben said, on the amount like we charge one hundred sixty nine dollars an hour. You know, somebody's looking for cheaper. If somebody's looking for cheaper, we're gonna have to to train him and explain to him what we offer and try to sell our product. But not everybody's gonna buy. It. Not everybody's buying an Apple iPhone, right? So. Not everybody's going to be our customers. And whoever is going to adjust with us and wants our product, as long as we make sure we explain to them what we're selling, right, um, they'll be our customers. But we're not going to go out of our way like, to patch things, not to do the right repair, not to do this, not to, you know, we're not going to get into that. We are, okay. we are advisors and we have the knowledge for that, how to repair a car correctly. So Ben, how do, how do you how do you tell? How do you make the difference, and how quickly do you do that? Uh, I, it depends on the situation on how quickly, because it's not always evident at the beginning. 
Um, but for using a, a real world example, we had a customer come in. We were the fourth shop he had been to. Um, and the reason he had gone to four shops is he wanted to get the price to do the repairs in his car from four different places. One of them was 5,000. One of them was 6,800. One of them was 7,200. And he was asking us, where can I, he said the 5,000 is too cheap, but can you beat $6,800? That was what he asked upon scheduling the appointment. Um, we ended up not beating $6,800 and we ended up getting the job because we built a relationship with him. And so it's, how you would well, how, did, how, how did how did how did you do that? So well, this so, guy had three prices, one in the middle, and he he didn't he still went to another shop. We uh, cl really closed the job with our warranty. He felt good knowing it was me three years, thirty six thousand miles. Um, but what's funny is it seemed good, everything sold, and as the job unfolded, he continued going back to price, and he ended up being unhappy at the end because we came in at six thousand nine hundred and. $87, I want to say. And he goes, Oh, I thought you were going to beat it 7,000 by a good bit, not 13 bucks. And he ended up making a big deal out of $13 at the end of it. So we really should have followed the red flags in the beginning of there, us being the fourth shop of a price shopper. And I would say that would be how we should have been able to tell. Um, we what did you, what was the estimate that, what was the estimate that you gave him? 7,000? 7,000. And he said, okay. And at the end he wasn't okay. Yep. He said, okay. He asked, he asked if we can try to come in under, we said, we always will do our best, but this is the estimate. He said, he approved it. And at the end he was still upset about spending that money. And we probably should have known that was going to happen because he came in with four price quotes from four different shops. Okay. I don't know, man. I, I I'll tell you, sometimes I've had people with many quotes and in my mind, I'm thinking they just haven't found a home. You know, it's not, yeah. if they, if they have a low price of say five grand, that to me, it's not about price anymore. It's about what is that? What's missing from that five grand shop, right? Right. Who are they gonna trust more? What was that, John? Who are they gonna trust more? Who they, they yeah. want to build a relationship with somebody and trust to take care of their, you know, their car needs. Did the did the guy um, write you a nasty review, Ben, or was he? Oh, you don't want you don't want to hear all the details. But no, he okay. is not. He did not leave us a bad review. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes you do everything you can and no matter what you do, you, you can't make that other person happy. Correct. And hopefully in the beginning, we, we, the signs are there and we figure it out before we get completely, it's like getting married. You know, once you got a, a ring on your finger, now it's, a, it's a little late to say, wait a minute, you know, I don't like the way you cook, um, you know, or, uh, whatever else, uh, in a sense, once I've done the work, you're going to pay the bill. And if you're not happy, if it has nothing to do with the quality of the work or the price that you already authorized, I, I don't care in a way. Um, but that's me. Uh, I am kind of an, a, a, an absolutes guy. Um, everything's to me, most everything is either black or white. I, there isn't a lot of gray area. Um, uh, John, what, what do you think? How, how how important is it that you determine what you have to offer and who you are, you know, before you go out there and, and do it? It is very important. Like, uh, first of all, it's, it's the value that you offer, right? You, you need to know, what, you know, the kind of work that you do, the warranties that you're giving, uh, the value on the repairs, 
and the knowledge too, because you don't have like you have technicians who are going for training, right? You have to, so you don't have anybody working on your on the, you know your customers' cars. So it is important to know the value and and the product that you're selling, right? Right. I I I agree. What um, Ben? Tell me about your unique selling proposition. What is that in your understanding? Our USP is what? Sorry, one moment. Turn the volume off on the phone. Our USP is what we used <laughs> to tell customers who and what we are and what we offer. Do you use that some of the time? Every once every in a time. while, all the time. You know, every time you're going to use one of your USPs. You're of course can have different USPs depending on what it is that is the most valuable to that customer at that time. What are they going to see as important to them? You know, you're going to have, you know, I'm a lead auto repair. Um, we offer a three or thirty-six thousand mile warranty because we want our customers to not have to worry about anything after a repair is done. Um, you know, you're going to have USPs for different objections. You're going to have USPs for the like I said, different value statements. So you went through um, the advisor mastery training, both of you guys have. Um, do you feel like you have a much better understanding of that at this point? Or did you not, you know, is it, is it different than what you thought it was or, or what? Well, I think I never defined my USPs before the advisor mastery training. Um, I think they really, I was using them but not realizing they had a name, if that makes sense. So it helps refine it and hone it in to what they should be. There's a ton of different advisor training options in the industry, making the choice that much harder to make. Some shove too much into too little of a time frame. They can be inconvenient and costly, or they're just filled with unhelpful, non-applicable information. So how are you supposed to create confident and capable service advisors? The Advisor Mastery Program from the Institute is the industry's leading service advisor training, now almost entirely online. With one-on-one -on -one coaching, KPI tracking, live community trainings, a resource library, and more, there's no wonder why advisors who finish the program have seen their efforts rewarded with more confidence, higher arrows, and better sales. If you're ready to stop settling for mediocre and start ruling the counter, join the Advisor Mastery Program today. Head to ifrave.com and register now. We'll see you in class. What's your opportunity rate at your shop? As far as in dollars or? Yeah, in dollars. Uh, about 3000 About three grand per car that comes in. What's your sell rate? 46% uh, last month. Okay. So you're selling not quite half of what you found on the customer's car. Do you think that 3000 is... So when I'm talking to shop owners... And, and a lot of them that may watch this, service advisors and owners, if you told them that you had a $3,000 opportunity on the average car that came in your shop, they would, they would freak out. They would say, there's no way. That, that guy must be selling stuff that the car doesn't need. Well, we estimate if it, if it needs an engine, we estimate the engine and it goes an opportunity. If it needs something large that may total the car, we're still estimating it, even if we're not necessarily trying to sell it, if that makes sense but we're going to tell the customer it needs it and make the right recommendation. And we truly are estimating everything. And I think that does sometimes skew it because not every engine always gets estimated. Not every time and change job always gets estimated. Sometimes um, we're estimating everything. So in some shops, if the customer doesn't look like they're going to buy the engine, 
they don't necessarily estimate it, waste the time, put that in opportunity. Well, and they, they might they might make a rough estimate, I think, because that's what I've seen people do is, you know, I, I know this engine is this much. I know it's this much. I'm just going to jot it down on a piece of paper, talk to them. And if they're a buyer, then I'll itemize the estimate. So if they're a buyer, I, I struggle with that. I know. How do, how do you know if you're a buyer until you have the conversation? And how do you have the conversation if you don't have the information? I always right. say that I, if you don't estimate it, you can't sell it, right? I agree. You can't. There, there are shops, John, that where they try to figure out, is this customer going to be a buyer? Um, I'm going to throw one thing their way. Let me throw them one curveball and see if they handle it um, before I estimate all the rest of the stuff. Do you guys estimate everything on the car or do you hold back on stuff? No, we do. We do, we do estimate everything. Everything that is on the DVI, even future accommodations we estimate for now. Okay. And that's part of your opportunity. Correct. Okay. So what, what is your average opportunity? Now you're a little bit different than, than Ben in your, in your car makeup, but what is it? It's uh, $1,700. 1700 And you are, you guys are general repair, right? You work on pretty much everything. Correct. Yes. And Ben, you're like 70% European, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We're probably 70% European. Okay. Yeah, we, also have, we also have, the, a, a, I'd say we're 30% Porsche, which is a large opportunity and we get some exotics. Bigger opportunity on Porsche. That's for sure. Um, John, what's your sell rate? What What are you selling of that seventeen hundred dollars? It's between it fluctuates between sixty and seventy percent. Okay, nice. and and yeah, nice, huh? right? Yeah. Um, by the way, John, that that sell rate is one of the higher sell rates of all of the shops that I looked at. Why do you think you're able to sell sixty to seventy percent of that work to your customers? I think I'm focused, uh, Sergio. I'm focused and I'm uh, passionate about what I'm doing and building. Like every day that I come to work, I'm excited about it, and I put the effort into uh, and the time to talk to the customer to explain to them what they need. And even if even if somebody says no in the beginning, I'm always trying to convince them why they need them, why they need all the services that we recommend. So. I try to handle objections, and I don't. I don't give up. Like if I get a no and not, uh, an over an answer, it's gonna be. I'm gonna try again. So okay. that helps a lot. And if they, oh. let's say somebody doesn't have the budget to do it today, right? And somebody can wait. I'll talk to them. Okay, would you like to make an appointment for next time, like a month down the road from now, to take care of these items? That helps. So you keep you keep at it even after they've said no. Correct. Do you, do you, so I'm, I'm the same way. So I'm, I'm the guy, I always say that enthusiasm and um, uh, passion sells. And so I'm the guy that's passionate about taking care of the car and I'm not going to hear the first time you tell me no, you know, I might not even hear the first three times you tell me no. And then, and so people say, okay, but then you must piss off a lot of people. John, do you, do you piss off a lot of people? I don't think so. If I, I do, mean, I don't. I don't, I don't either. Either. You're too nice like, a guy, right? Usually, everybody calls. You know, they call. They ask for my name most of the time. Even if I'm not here, like they they call and want to talk to me. So I guess not. <laughs> no. And, 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 uh, so Ben, um, when I when I pick up the phone, I'm I'm already in charge. 
even before I pick up the phone, right? And and I already know that we have the best product in town. And I, I already know that our price is a hell of a deal because we should be twice as expensive, frankly, if we, in this industry. Um, and I already know that I have the best guys in town. And, and I know that I know what's best for your car and more than you know. And so I'm in charge right from the beginning. And Ben, I think both you and John are in that same area. Do, how, how, why is that so? When other people pick up the phone and they're like, I don't know, you know, if this guy's, if we have what he wants or if we're going to do the right thing for him or whatever that is. Why do you think that's so? Um, well, I think confidence, confidence in your business, confidence in your product, confidence in your technicians, confidence in all those that? things. Where, so, so, okay, we have a bunch of, um, bunch of people selling service in shops that have no confidence in their product or their people or their pricing, none whatsoever. Where did you get the dang confidence? I, I couldn't tell you. Um, I think it's just always been there. I've, I've always had the luck of working with a really good team, but also it's from training. I mean, you learn to you learn the numbers, and you look at your numbers, and you go, "Wow, we're really cheap." It's from knowing what you're doing. And but you're but you're not cheap. I'll, I'll are, bet you that you are, are one offer. of the more expensive shops in town. We're we're cheap for what we offer. Is what I think. Okay. So we're good value. So you're not you're not you're not ninety two dollars an hour. No. Okay. Um, and and everyone else in town is whatever your your labor rate could be higher than theirs, but you still feel like what I charge for my product is a hell of a deal. Uh, yes. <clears throat> okay. Absolutely. Um, I, I I would go back to where does confidence come from. Um, you have to create it. I think. I don't think. Well, you, I don't know that you're born with it. I, I think some of us are born with a little more confidence because we're deep personalities, and we're maybe it's just that we're too dumb to to realize that we're too we arrogant. Confidence. <laughs> but but some of us, you know, we 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 kind of exude that I'm in charge thing, and I know more about this than you do. So you should do what I'm I'm telling you to do, uh, John. You, I, I know I give you a lot of crap because I, I always give people I really like a lot of crap. Um, your personality is, you're, you're not a D like me. You're more of an no. I. And, I'm, and, I'm everything. And yet you're confident. How, how, how does that happen? Where did you get yours? Okay. First of all, you get the confidence uh, with getting yeses, I think. The more, like, the more people that say yes, the, the more, more the, you become. It's true. It's true. Okay. The more yes you, you get, the more confident you get, um, and it makes it makes a difference, right? That's one. I I start getting being confident first of all with uh, experience with my with my team too. Like uh, we have a really good team, which helps. And you know that if you know if you have a you know a good technician behind it behind you, and he's gonna do the work, you know it's gonna be done right. But if you don't have the technician behind you to back you up, and every time you do a service, it's always a problem, and it's always, you know, a comeback and stuff like that, that definitely drops the confidence down. So everything matters. Like, it's it's the whole picture. But I think... How do you, um, how, how, if everything matters, 
I, I've never had a day in my life. Well, maybe I'm lying again, but but it's been very rare for me to have a day in my life where everything went the way I wanted it to go. No, yes, it, it doesn't go. It doesn't go every day the way you want to go. But you wake up. <clears> how do you day, remain confident when you have a technician who's who's maybe not as good as you want him to be? Okay. I mean, you have to deal and you have to work with what you have, first of all, right? So okay. even if the technician is not the best technician you have, and but he can do... I'm not talking about make, if making a lot of mistakes with causing trouble, then you have to change him, all right? That's one. But if he's a technician who maybe doesn't have knowledge, he can improve, he can learn, right? In the future, he's going to be that. But I wake up every morning and I'm confident, every day. I'm not going to get every day all the yeses, but I never gave up. You know what? Because every day the sun comes out. So like it's confidence by itself. So you're a, <laughs> uh, you're a, the glass is, is half full kind of guy, right? Uh, yeah, I guess you would say like that, but I'm always, I think during the day, if you're patient and, you know, you get the, fr the first customer, you, not, it might not be a yes, the first yes, but I know through through my life and I'm let's say I'm right now what 12 years of advisor the more yeses you get and through the experience you get more confident because you know what's going on and you know what's the right thing to be done on every car and if you don't do as we recommend you eventually you're gonna have a problem right so so Ben I always say that there's two things that are super important to being good at whatever you do and one of them is knowledge and you've you've covered knowledge. You said there's training, and the other is 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 confidence. And and I I I say confidence is experience, Correct. right? And I think you I, I don't know when I'm when I'm doing something new, which which hasn't happened for a while, um, because I'm an old guy now, and and a lot of what I do now is based on what I've done most of my life. But when I'm doing something new. I'm already confident that I'm going to be able to do it because I've already done new things in my life. Right. Um, right. How do you, how do you deal with the experience piece to gain confidence or to, to, to stay confident? Ben. Oh, how do you deal with the experience to stay confident? Yeah. Um, how, you know, I mean, because this is an up and down business. I mean, there's no, I mean, I've had a really great week where it didn't seem like anything really went wrong, or at least I didn't recognize it if it did. But I've also had, you know, the day from hell. I've had the week from hell. I've had the month from hell. Um, how do you, how do you stay up in those situations? How do you use your experience to to keep you on a on a higher level? You know that you have the tools that you need to do for next time to be a yes. You don't you don't keep the nose with you. You know you. Continue on to the next to the next person. Continue on to the next sale, the next month, the next week, whatever it was that was bad, and you realize that you have the tools that you need to succeed. And if you move on to the next one, you're going to succeed at that one. I had a, a sales trainer that that I, I used to I, for part of my career. I actually taught door to door sales, and I used to. I, I don't know where I got this from. Probably whoever trained me at some point, but. I used to tell people that yes, no's are good because it means that it's more likely that the next conversation we have is going to be a yes, right? It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't stay the same. 
Uh, let me ask you, I, I have another thought in my head. Uh, and I just had a thought about it, too. What's that? I had a thought about what you said. The Go ahead. When, when you get a no, right, and if you're able to judge it, if you're able to judge yourself, to go back and, and see, okay, did I handle this conversation right? Did I handle this customer right? Did I did everything that was in my power to turn it into a yes? And how can I improve myself? I think that's building a confidence too, because by going back and always judging on the on the positive way, not judging uh, on the negative way yourself, it helps. Because next time you know how to do better. Oh, I didn't say this. I didn't. I didn't you know, you make notes. I didn't think to say that to you know to my presentation, and and that helps. I love that. I love that like thing that hits you like four hours after the conversation's over that that's like, Oh my God, I should have said this. If I'd have said this, I, I would have controlled that situation or I would have got the yes or, or whatever. I love that. Right. And I try to remember those things, write them down so that next time I have that conversation again, I got that thing there. I, you know, arrows in the quiver, right? I got another arrow, something I know I can do. And I, I also, I'm happy with who I am. Um, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not, uh, uh, in my own mind, I'm perfect because I'm me. Right. And, and me is, is messy. I'm, I'm flawed and that's okay. Um, so no's are not necessarily bad either, unless you let them weigh you down. Correct. Right. Um, I, I, I think that, I have this other, I have these different philosophies, which you guys have heard a lot of this crap in, in class, obviously. Um, when you're a kid, you have, you have limited experience. So the, the, whatever happens to you is like this huge thing. You know, the first time you break up with a girl, it's, it's, it's like the end of the world because my, I, how could I live my life? I mean, you know, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. But by the fifth time that you break up with a girl, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'll find another one. There's another one out there, right? You know, it's, it's because the more experience you gain, the more confidence you have that life goes on and that things are going to be okay in the long Correct. run, right? Correct. Um, all right, let's talk price um, for a moment. Um, do you guys do you guys look around and do you do surveys of what other people are charging? Well, first question. Second question is. If you do do surveys of what other people are charging, can you change what you charge based on those surveys? Uh, uh, ben, we'll, we'll go with you first since John's writing notes. Yes and no. Okay. Um, no, we don't really actively look at or care what the other people are charging, um, except for in case of a few things such as oil changes, tire rotations, alignments, the sort of you know, general service items. We try to price those similar to the dealer. Um, but besides that, I don't, we don't look around to break jobs. We don't look around. Why, why, why similar to the dealer and not similar to Bob's automotive down the street? Uh, the dealer is the only real place in our area. That's competition. We don't have another independent that is really similar to us at your level, at our level in, in our area. That's interesting. Um, that may or may not be true, but you believe it, therefore it's true. I, that's what I believe, at least. Okay. No. <laughs> um, the second part was, was going to be that uh, 
I don't know. I don't think that you need to do that as long as you're focusing on, on doing the right thing yourself, that your customers are going to be buying from you at whatever price you sell them, as long as you sell it correctly, as long as they understand and know what they're buying and appreciate the value of what they're buying within reason. Obviously, if you're being honest, ethical and you know moral, then you're not just charging $500 as you can for something that should be 100 But if you're 125 and it should be 100 there's a reason you're 125 then I don't think there's a reason to change your price. All right. I got, I'll have another question on price. I want to come back to that. John, do you guys do surveys? And if you do, do you make changes to what you charge or? Honestly, I never made a phone call to check prices. Um, last year, uh, I had an advisor that he was going crazy about, Oh, you have to check. I said, you know what? Go ahead and check. Um, and you call dealerships to find out prices, but I don't pay attention to that. Maybe, maybe we should. I don't know if we should be. A, I mean, for services, as Ben said, like all changes, tire rotations, maybe like uh, menu items. Maybe you want to be com- uh, com- uh, comparable on that. Uh, but I don't. Me personally, I never do. I don't. Our um, and, uh, our bottom don't. line. I don't either at all. Never. I don't. I don't really care. Um, what other people are charging. Um, and by the way, sometimes to help you, I have a lot of customers telling me, you know, you're more expensive than a dealership. I said, no, but I just find out, but that's our price. That's our product we will sell. So I'm better. I used to have people say, but you're more expensive than the dealership. I said, well, of course we are. We're better than the dealership. Of course. Right? Again, that's that, that maybe false bravado sometimes, right? Uh, although I've been to, Several of the ships in my area with my own cars, and it's it's ugly. I think we provide like uh, general, like the the automotive business, another dealership, like all the other repair shops. They provide much much better service than the dealership. The dealership, I mean, uh, an information lost in the translation, basically. It's oh yeah, it's from, it's, it's from one to another. Yeah, so we definitely we, we give you better service. We just bought a new um, Explorer company vehicle. And uh, right off, it had a problem with a, a, a knocking underneath. Uh, when you go on the freeway uh, uh, over 50 miles an hour, we took it back literally within two days. And they called us and said, after, after we had to call six times to get to talk to somebody. Now, this is someone that just spent $52,000 on a new car. And six times to get to talk to somebody in the service department. The guy calls us. Well, he didn't even call us. I, we had to call him at the end of the day to find out if the car was done. We go pick it up. It's only a mile and a half down the road. And he's like, yeah, we got her all fixed. No problem. They said they tightened up, I don't know, something underneath, whatever it was. It, it wasn't a fix. We, we, we left the Ford dealer. We drove two blocks, went on the freeway, and the knock was still there. They, when we went back, we asked the guy, you told us that you fixed it. You told us that you test drove it. You didn't drive it, right? Oh, no, we didn't have time to drive it. Okay, that's not what we do at my shop, right? If we're we're going to double check and make sure that car is fixed before I'm going to put it in your hands. And you're not going to have to call me because we're going to be on top of it and, and keep you informed. 
Stop wasting your time trying to find a magic bullet. There isn't one. However, our Keys to Automotive Business Success teaches the foundations of a successful automotive shop and gets you started on the right path, which is pretty close. You'll learn how to set actionable and achievable goals, understand your financial model, and how to communicate more effectively with your team. This course was designed to jumpstart your results, not waste your time. Take the class today and you'll learn how to start creating the business and life you want. Visit iframe.com to register for the class at only $49 and available to take wherever and whenever you'd like. It's what every shop owner needs to kickstart their business into success. Is, is there a price that's too high? The, so, you know, we were back in 2006, we were $152 an hour um, in our so area when everyone else was 100 and our minor service, our oil change was 165 bucks. And, and we were busy and consistently, we're like Ben, two weeks out, right? I mean, we, 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 don't, we didn't have a lack of work in our business. Uh, um, and I always thought there's gotta be a place that's too much. Have you found the place that's too much? And if you have, how, why? And if you, you haven't, why not? Um, ben, have you found the price that's too high? Mm, no. And, and so why not? Why is, I know you're $25, $30 an hour more than some of the people in your area. Yeah. Why, why are your customers willing to pay that price when someone else does it so much cheaper in your area? Because they're getting what they pay for. You know, they're, they're getting their car fixed. They're getting a relationship. They feel good. They have someone who stands behind it if, God forbid, there is a problem. And it's just fixed right the first time, and it's easy. You know, they have 2014 Mercedes loaner cars they get to drive. They, they have granite countertops when they walk in. They, we give them hand sanitizer when they pick up their car. You know, they're not just going to a shop. They're getting a full-on experience. Okay. So you've created the the value for the customer. Correct. Okay. All right, John, I'm going to ask you the same, the same question. Have you found the price that's too high? And if the answer is yes, why? And if the answer is no, why not? I never, I never check about the price if I'm too high. Uh, so the answer is no. Um, and I will agree with both of you. It's the value of your service. So, a lot of people t- telling us they were more expensive than other shops than in the area, but it's the service you provide. Uh, we drive them home, pick them up, sanitize the car before and after. The work is done properly. You get the warranties. Uh, so every, everything matters. So no, I, I never check that is the price too high. And sometimes I'm, I was told I'm more high than other shops, but it is what it is. That's our product. You can, can you, buy, as, as we said earlier. I mean, go buy, ahead. Go you ahead, can buy. I was going to say, to make a metaphor, I mean, no one complains when they buy dry aged steak from Whole Foods versus choice beef from whatever corner market you go to. You buy the dry aged beef and you're happy. You buy the right. choice beef, you spend half as much and it tastes like crap and you're not happy. Cool. I had a couple of those steaks this last week, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't chew half of it. Um, and yeah, I still have right. all my teeth, so it's not. It wasn't the the lack if, of teeth. If um, you had spent double and bought the nice steak, you would have been happy. I would have. Um, in fact, I'm kind of disappointed. I ordered some online steaks, and when they got here, they weren't what I thought, and I paid good good dollars for them. 
Um, uh, John, you, you have thought. Go, go. Yeah, I was going to say cheaper doesn't mean it's better. And I think we, we learned that at the class. Uh, cheaper is, it doesn't mean it's better. Yeah. In fact, so Actually, I've always been more expensive too. I've always been one of the more expensive guys in in shops in the area, even when I, I had my own shops in, in Southern California. Um, you guys are not the cheapest in your area. In fact, I'd say that probably both of you guys are towards the top end, and yet you haven't found that your price is too high. How are you creating value? So we, we, we've got about 10 minutes left here. Okay. How do you create value for the customer so that the customer says, I have this, this saying, and, and what we have to do at the service counter is we have to convince the customer that paying for the job and having the job done at our shop is better for them. It's the dry aged beef than buying that same service or repair somewhere else at a lower price. How do you do that? Um, let me start with John. John, how do you do that? I think the picture the picture talks by itself. So basically, if somebody comes into our office, right, they see that everything is clean. Uh, they see the whole shop is clean. They see that everybody's dressed nice. Uh, they see that everything is spotless, right? That's number one. Pictures, like what do you see? The the restrooms are clean, and and what you offer too. Like when somebody makes an appointment, you ask him, okay, would you like to have a a drop off? Would you need a, a ride home? Do you want us to pick up the car from your house? This is this all this information. It adds up. You know that when you go and want. And you're working in here, that is not going to be the same place that you go across the street and it's like everything is dirty, everything is messy. You, you don't know if you're going to find somebody in front of you to talk to you and all, and all that. So I think that, that speaks by itself. When we, went, when we took the car into the dealer, there was a guy directing traffic in the front who was, move your car over here, go over here, and, and not even nice. And then... We walked in and there were six service advisors. We walked in about the middle. The, the first guy was no more than, say, eight feet in front of us. Not one of them looked at us and said hi or anything. They all, they were like this the whole time. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Does the customer matter or not? Obviously, at our local Ford dealership, the answer is no. Um, in my shop, you know, hey, Cecil, good to see you. Hey, John, how you doing? You know, how can we help you today? What can right. we do? I'm excited to get we that person in and talk to them. You know, we even open the door for them. That's the other thing. So yeah, we, anytime. we open the door. So, Come in, please. You know, so you're creating value consciously in your business in a lot of different ways. Correct. Okay. And then, you, and Ben, I'm going to get to you. Don't. Don't think I've forgotten that you're there, buddy. Um, bite, my, then, bite my lip. And then when you're creating value, you're talking about that. You're helping the customer understand it because you believe in the fact that your business has more value. Correct. And also, let's say it's a first-time customer. I will explain to them that we're going to go, you know, first of all, we're going to check, uh, make sure we're going to take care of the main reason you're here, right? But also we're going to do a complimentary uh, digital inspection. And I explain to them what it is. And most of the times, like if a new customer comes in, just for the pictures, the DVIs, the whole service that you they get, they're like excited. They're excited right. and they get it. I, I assume that the customer wants that information 
And, and I use arrows, keywords, key phrases to help them understand how important that information is. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, ben, uh, uh, same question to you. How do you build that? How do you build that value for that customer knowing that there are other shops out there that are cheaper than you are? I think you build it with every single thing that you do and every single thing the customer sees from the minute they pull up. Um, you know, is the shop clean from outside? Are there cobwebs growing above the door? Uh, what does the building look like? Does it look old? Does it look new? What it looks like when they come inside? Are they greeted? Is the door open for them? I think you're building value at every step of the way. And then you're also building value with the things you offer, such as warranty, you know, what type, how good your technicians are, how much training they have the type of parts that you use, all those things all build value. It's everything that you do and every interaction you have with the customer. But ultimately, I think that relationship is also just as important and as far as building value because they don't trust you, then they're not going to trust anything that you're telling them. Do, do you think, I appreciate every single customer I have, even the ones that go south, um, I still appreciate them. Um, do, you, do you guys... Do you gen? I think some people look at me and they go, "That guy can't do that because he's, you know, I, I'm as I said, I'm pretty black and white. Here's my price. This is what we do." But, but I, I, I genuinely appreciate people that want to improve themselves, that want to become better, that want to drive, you know, a, a car that's worry free. I, I appreciate my clients, whether it's at the shop or now as a consulting business. Um, how do you show your clients that you? Appreciate them. Uh, we send hand, handwritten but, thank you cards to every customer. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're also. But I think it, I think that the handwritten thank you card wouldn't mean crap if it wasn't for all of the other things that you did all along the way. Yes. Right? Um, we, we obviously thank them for their business when they pick up the car. Thank them for the oppor opportunity to service their vehicle. You know, we're sending them thank you cards and we're, I mean, we're showing our appreciation just as you would show your appreciation to anyone for anything. All right. So um, we're, we're at the end. I'm going to ask two questions. Um, first question I'm going to ask both of you. It's a self-serving question. You both went through the advisor mastery program. Um, give us your comments on that. And was it worth what you, what you paid for it? Ben, we'll start with you. A hundred percent. Definitely. Um, I think what, the training, what did, do, what did it do for you? What do you think was the top couple of things that it did for you? Uh, I learned a lot more empathy for one. Uh, you needed I, that. How, I needed that. You needed um, that. I learned that I have to sell to every single person I talk to at work, not just customers, but coworkers. Also, I have to build relationships and build rapport with every single person I work with along with every single person I interact with every day. I needed to take the same tools I was using on my customers and use them with everyone I interact with in my life. Cool. I'm so glad that you got that piece because you needed that piece. Yeah. You, that, know, that I, you know, I appreciate you, brother. You know that, right? Yeah. I'm behind you hundred percent. John, you took the program. Was it worth it? And, and what, if it was, if it wasn't, tell me why, and you can do it here. If it was, what was it that you got out of it that made it worth it for you? Oh, it's definitely worth it. You know that for sure for me. Um, first of all, I learned, I think, how to build better estimates. 
when I used to do, it helped me definitely hundred, not 100%, 1000% to be able to, to make a better presentation, right? Uh, the way you teach us to make presentations and build an estimate. That definitely helped me out. Uh, unique selling proposition that I know we talk about it. Uh, ben said it. We might knew somehow what we're doing, but we didn't have it in our mind how for each item to use it, right? So it definitely helped me a lot. And um, I let uh, a lot of fears go, you know, that everything's sometimes everything's here. So yeah. it definitely helped me 100%. And I will uh, advise every new advisor coming in to definitely take the program and let the fear go. Let the fear go, baby. Let the fear go. They can't hurt you if you don't let them. Correct. And, and it's, you know, <clears throat> it's, you have to get uncomfortable to be able to do that. Yeah. Sometimes I think so. I, th I, I think it is difficult sometimes to let go certain things. Um, all right. Um, so I was going to ask another question uh, there. Um, it improved your sales. It improved your margins. It improved your confidence. Right? For sure. Yes. Uh, Absolutely. Okay. So now here's the last question. What advice would you give to um, a service advisor out there right now to be able to create more value, to be able to help their customer better, to be more confident? Um, what, what advice? And I'm going to start with um, I'm going to start with Ben, and then we'll go to John. What's the advice? We're, this is the last question we get. So, what do you tell them? <laughs> um, one piece of advice would be just trust yourself and trust the people you work with. Okay. I know that's not easy for you, Ben. Um, that was that empathy thing, right? I mean, how, how, how have you been able to, to do that when that wasn't there two years ago? Um, I've, just had, I've just had to learn how to do it. I mean, I've had to learn how to trust that the advisors that I have working with me are going to sell to the best of their ability. And that they're listening to the things that they need to listen to and they've learned and that they are 100% on the same team. Okay. Um, all right, John, uh, last piece of advice for the advisors that are going to listen to this or the owners that are going to listen to this. Definitely. Um, if you don't have passion about what you're doing, just stop it, right? Change yeah. it. But Find something you yeah. can be passionate about. Right. Uh, so definitely um, create... Uh, let the fear go, as I said earlier, uh, and put the work into it. Like, you need to have the passion, but also you need to put the work, read, train yourself, try, and always keep trying to become better because every day is different. So that's my advice. It, I love it. It, it never stops. It. It never stops. Yeah, it, it doesn't does. stop. By the way, I'm, I'm a lot older than both of you. Right. It doesn't stop, baby. I'm still passionate. I'm still learning. There you um, go. I'm still excited. I'm still trying to find education out there that will help me even move myself forward at this point in my life. I don't want to stop. Right. So right. that passion thing's a, a really cool thing. Um, all right, guys. Uh, man, I could. I have like 25 more questions in my head that <laughs> we're – Maybe we'll have to do another one of these. We'll do part two. We're at I'm it. down. I'm down. Any, any All right. Day. So thank you. Thank you for your time. I, I know how hard it is. You're both, you know, working hard during the day. 
Um, I greatly appreciate you being here. Uh, you know, I love the both of you guys. Um, and uh, if you need anything, you know where you just you know where you can go to get it. So uh, thanks for being here, guys. Thank, Thank you. Take care. I'm going to close it out now. Bye, guys. That's it for this one. This episode was brought to you by GearForShops.com and The Institute. To find more episodes or for more information about the services we provide, visit iForAbe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.